Episode six. My name is John Sands. Yeah, yeah. My name is Jose Olivares. What up? My name is Aziza Bond. Oh fuck! I'm sorry. <laughs> AKA. I just said my name. Oh AKA. man. Bonds and Aziza Bonds and Aziza Bonds. Not me. See, Aziza. My name just over and over again. Many AKAs, all of them are Aziza Bonds. True. You know, yeah, this was yeah, bound to happen at some point in time. America. I, and I, <laughs> the thing is, I knew it was gonna be me, y'all. I swear to goodness, I knew it was gonna be me <laughs> that was gonna fuck up the AKAs. But it's kind of like, um, you remember when it was like, who's the best rapper in the world? Dylan, Dylan, and Dylan. Like, true. That's, true. that's what I'm going for here. Susan Barnes, so uh, gigantic, right? Enormous that. She is Aziza Barnes many times. Aziza Q. I mean, what, uh, what I am uh, is a concept. I'm, I'm more an idea than an actual human corpus. You know yeah, what I'm wow. saying? Like, <laughs> it's man. important to remember that, that this is a, I'm a theory. Yeah. In fact, you all should be grateful I even do this podcast with you. You know? Wow. It's Aziza talking. That's not me. I kind of know my place, you know? <laughs> you know I mean, it, talking about gratitude uh we are very grateful for our guest today esteemed writer incredible uh educator uh none other poet scout i mean many many uh words could follow his name (laughs) most of them incredibly positive i think (laughs) all the ones i know are positive right We have Joshua Bennett with us here today. Josh, you can say what's up. What's up, people? It's your boy. (laughs) (laughs) We in here. Let's go. Josh is nursing a cold of some kind, so if you hear that gravelly voice, you know that's for you. It's It's not just atmosphere. It's a thing, though, is that the gravel is never bad, sonically. I'm willing to argue. This this episode is kind of brought to you by Robitussin. You know what I mean? Like... (laughs) Like Josh is a little Cold sick. Weather. Aziza's sick. She's we got her on FaceTime because she's feeling under the weather. You know no, what I mean? Okay. So, you know, shout out Robitussin. Uh, my mom's homemade uh, remedy was always Vaporu. You know what I mean? Wow, which which wow. y'all might know as, as vapor, right, right. As vapor rub. You know what I mean? I don't know what that is. All I know is Vaporu. So, you know, shout out to them. Shout out to my mom. And uh, even though everyone is a little. A little sick. We're we're here. We're in the studio, yeah. uh, Freeman Street Studios in the Bronx. Okay, stand up. Yeah, stand up. You know, recording this, and uh, you know, at this moment in time, we're going to pause. <laughs> People see me, but they just don't know. All right, but before we get into uh, an interview with Joshua Bennett, 
We're going to welcome you back to our favorite, you know, what's it called? What's it called when you, uh, it's not like a skit. Segment? It's a segment. It's a segment that we have. You know, we're a young podcast, y'all. You got to bear with us, okay? We're not bad because we don't know the lingo, okay? Nah, I it's, think it's called You don't need to know what a segment is just to have a segment. But this segment is titled, What's on Your Mind? <laughs> Aziza, Aziza, what's uh, what's on your mind? Words. So, um, right now, my homegirl Nora. Shout out to Nora Carroll. She's hey, from hey. Uh, Jose's uh, favorite place on earth, Chicago. Hey, um, shout out in the building. I know, All day, I every know. day. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, hey, Chicago, Chicago produces cool folks, so I'm never mad at Chicago. A lot of cool um, folks. But she sent me this um, interview uh, in GQ called The Confessions of R. Kelly. Mm. And, you know, there are many interviews on, like, R. Kelly, you know, exposés, whatever. But this one um, really was strange to me because she was just sending me quotes from it. And I didn't know. I think, apparently it's, like, common knowledge. But I didn't know R. Kelly was illiterate. I actually had no idea. Mm. And a quote from it that's just been, like, totally fucking with me is, um, he said, since my daughter showed me voice text on my phone, I've gotten a lot better, um, like, at reading, you know what I mean? And I just, I don't know, there's something very odd and compelling and disturbing about R. Kelly's whole narrative, and this, on top of it, I was just like, how how can it be life? I'm just not entirely sure what to what to think now because like you know it's such a complicated relationship like hearing his song and they took out but like you're a pedophile but like you can't read I'm just very confused. and you're the dude that's saying I believe I could find right you describe it as like your mind is telling you no but your body is telling you yes would you say that's I accurate I am so upset I'm so upset It's been on your mind. Like I'm, I'm curious as to like why, why R. Kelly in this moment. I mean, it's not this moment over any other. Like mm-hmm. pretty much, usually he's on my mind. I hate to admit, um, and it's because he does things that I'm like, how on earth are would you think of that? Like the fact that trapped in the closet exists at all. <laughs> really insane to me but I watch all of them because I'm like what is the mind of a person who would create a hip opera or you know as they're calling it and dub his voice over everyone's (laughs) voice like sing all the parts like no one else gets a job for singing you know like who who would think to do that and 
And I have to know, like, does he think this is actual good art, or is this all a joke? Like, is this performance theater at its finest? Is this mm. serious? I like, can't imagine I that it's a joke. You know? I can't either. Like... It would be too good of a joke. I think it's very serious. Mm. Mm. Oh, my God. I mean, like, there was an IFC marathon of, you know, trapped in the closet um, <laughs> one Thanksgiving about four years ago. Oh, Thanksgiving? And, um, Who's watching trapped in the closet <laughs> on Thanksgiving? <laughs> Who's like, these are know, questions. These are me, questions I need answers I need, to. I need turkey and lots of Robert Kelly on Thanksgiving. The Here's the thing. The I was at yeah. Safia's house. Shout out to Safia Hello. Hey, and hey. we were watching this on IFC at her mama house on Thanksgiving. Wow. And, um, yeah, I can't make any of this up. And, um, like, there were segments of R. Kelly watching Trapped in the Closet, like him watching his own creation, and he was so genuinely amused with himself. <laughs> like, like, my shit is nice. That's kind of great. Strange. That's kind of great. I'm not yeah, gonna lie. There's definitely times where I write something and I like chuckle to myself. <laughs> I'm like, hey, you know, nobody else is in this apartment right now, but goddamn it, like <laughs> this is a good lot. This, <laughs> this yeah. is a good stanza, even. <laughs> Sometimes right? it's a good poem. You know what I mean? I feel like it happens in the writing of a book or something mm. where you're. I mean, it's rare. I feel like for you to give your own work a unbiased look. But every once in a while, you'll just get in that like kind of zen state of mind where you're reading it as though you're just reading it and as though you didn't write it. Right. Yeah. And you're either like, this poem is trash, or you're like, mm-hmm. yeah, this is actually really good. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, deep. Yeah, yeah, I'm with that. I was thinking about that this week. I mean, I I work uh, obviously as many of us do uh, as you know as an educator, as I think all of us do in in some capacity, and most of the guests that we have on. Um, And one of the kind of like programs that I'm working for, which isn't kind of associated with the school, one of the components of it is that you know at the end of the workshop, I have to you know photograph the poem and go home and type it up. And then I, you know, get to like bring the poems in the room and I don't know what it is, but for some reason when it's not in the notebook and it's just typed out, it's the exact same line breaks, exact same poem. And people, you know, they've been writing for a whole year and then something clicks and they get to like see the poem and then, you know, like there is not, uh, typing takes two seconds. Like it's what they made, right? And you get to sit there and look at it and be like, oh God. Damn, like I wrote that and it's deep and it's honest <laughs> and it's like kind of funny. Mm. Um, totally. And you see people kind of reckon with that thing and literally people's writing practice changes immediately afterward. You know, like yeah. immediately after people see their own poems written, the next week they show up and they write for longer. They're more interested in the discussion. There's mm. like a new thing that happens when you can look at your own work objectively and mm-hmm. realize that it's dope. Like, do you know, right. like, there was a time when I used to call my brother on the phone every time I wrote a poem <laughs> so I could read it to him. Yeah. You know, like, no, seriously, gross, every yeah. time I wrote something, I was like, like, dude, that, I wrote this poem. Yo, can I ask y'all a yeah, question? Yeah. Do y'all still listen to R. Kelly? If an R. Kelly uh, song comes on, do you listen to it or do you switch it off? 
thing with that, right? It's like, sometimes, yes, mm-hmm. I'll switch it off. I'll mm-hmm. be like, no, I can't do this. I can't extricate the man from the song he made, mm-hmm. and I'm not doing this. I never buy R. Kelly's music. I never purchase any of his anything. Like, I'm not supporting him um, to continue living the way he does. Um, I do still watch Trapped in the Closet. Like, I watch it mainly to study it. I'm so serious. I do. What, and what do you study from it? It's like, what am I studying from it? Yeah. I mean, I think it's a... It's, I've never seen anything like it before. That's, That's why it. I study it. Yeah. I, I have never seen anything quite like that. I've never seen, like, a level of honestly self-absorption like that like everyone you sing everyone's part I've, I've never seen someone look at their own community and decide yeah these are the parts of it that i want to show and and this is what i think of people who have uh, who are hiv positive like i mean a lot of it's about I mean, he shames so many people he shames the homosexual community he he shames like LGBTQ folks, people who have HIV, he shames everyone. Um, he shames sex workers and the church in the same episode. Um, he's obsessed with mafia bosses. Like, it's, it's deeply absurd right, he's right. created, and I'm interested in, in absurdity. Mm. Um, but I think the thing is, I'm not about to um, act like he doesn't exist. Mm. Um because I think I think what what is most disturbing about R. Kelly is that you can be all these things. You can be um, an absurd person, a musical savant in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, you know, really disgusting, pedophile, um, and 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 you're still here. You know, and I think it shows like there are so many facets of being human and you have to look at those. You can't just decide, in my opinion, I can't just decide like, well, I'm not going to have anything more to do with you. Um, just because I'd I'd rather study you Mm. and, and really Mm. make sure, I mean, learn about like what triggers you learn about how did you come to exist, you know? And, but it is hard to dance to an R Kelly song now. Which is sad, because there's so many moments when I was, yeah, yeah, I don't know, there is a line, I think. Yeah, I mean, I don't listen to R. Kelly really uh, that much anymore, but I don't know if it's always like an explicit, like enactment of my politics, in part because I really have struggled with this question for a while, in terms of James Brown, Chris Mm -hmm. Brown, like, um, like with male artists in particular, who I know, um like physically assaulted their partners, you know? Um, right. And that, that history is recorded and is well known as part of the archive of a lot of like just uh, Frank Sinatra, right? Like, I mean, right. it's... it's yeah. Right, like all these cats, right? And so do you watch those movies? Um, do you listen to that music? How do you engage? Do you have like a critical engagement with it, right? Where you like critique it, even as you might listen to it in the club? And I haven't always known what to do um, with authors and, yeah. and other producers of culture that... Um, have lives that were just like profoundly violent, right? And it's, for me, it's actually not one of those things that some people might argue with. They say, well, where do you draw the line? For me, my line moves. It's dynamic, right? It's a, it's a line that's situational. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, yeah, for R. Kelly, I just couldn't. 
I mean, also the music hasn't moved me. I think for for a while. I mean, step in the name of love for me is it sounds like what it is. Trapped in the closet for for you. Uh, step in the name of love comes on. It's a problem for me. It's tough. Um, That's a beautiful song, Bruh, What? Clapping makes a beautiful song. It's beautifully arranged because he's like a musical genius. He like really is. he's like a, a predator, you know. And That's those two things together, song. yeah, dude. Honors the city, honors like a, a particular kind of dance that comes from like his material conditions. Like R. Kelly's an interesting cat, but like that song makes me so happy. Oh yeah, right, because that's your hometown boy too, you know. Yeah. So it's it's tough. But I've also been in a I was at a house party with you, and, and R. Kelly came on. You were like, turn that off. I, yeah. I remember that, <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's an interesting moment, right? Yeah. And I think it, it it needs to be that kind of thing where we all interrogate for ourselves, like what does it mean to uh, to take in you know, what these folks produce when we know certain things about their lives, right? And how do we engage with it in a way that feels true and good? I think it's not even... I mean, I think there's the component of the music. I think that the other duality there is that there are people who realize kind of the stories that are going on with R. Kelly, uh, not like the stories that are going on, you know, that he assaulted multiple women, and still can't divorce themselves from... Yo, I appreciate someone who just is going to say whatever the fuck they want. I appreciate that as a trait because so many of us are walking around wondering, you know, like what to say, the right thing, and then to see someone so like unabashedly willing to say something super fucked up or to be fucked up for millions of people that there's a trait there that we say, man, that's like kind of admirable. I could use some of that and that can blind us as well toward mm-hmm. the actions that yeah. are behind that kind of like cavalier yeah that yeah. kind of willingness to yeah. say whatever you want to say you know mm-hmm. yeah for me yeah. go ahead think, Z. oh yeah no I mean I think right with the I'm gonna say whatever the fuck I want thing I think the part we appreciate is just like the honesty obviously um there's so many folks are walking around trying to be the idea of themselves, you know, like trying to be like, this is what I think of myself without interrogating what's actually there and doing the work. Mm. But then there's this irresponsibility with, I'm just going to say whatever the fuck I want, but I think it, and do whatever the fuck I want. That's really dangerous, you know? Mm. It's like that American cowboy mystique, like everything is the open West. Everything is mine to put a flag in. And, mm. and that's, I think, the part of the shit that needs to be interrogated it's like R. Kelly no you can't pick up underage girls and do whatever you want with them that that's not okay but I think also in this culture especially I mean as a black woman I know that um I'm not thought about you know Mm -hmm. and I know that like I am part of that big wide west and the thing to put a flag in you know Mm -hmm. what I mean so as a as a person who would have been property or commodity um she saw me that way, you know. Like, I know no one's um, no one's looking for me to behave the way R. Kelly does, right? And not that I would, but I mean it in the way of like, no one's looking for no one. No one wants me to feel like I can do whatever the fuck I want, you know, because mm. I'm still viewed as like property as commodity. So then there's something there's something very wrong with that idea of freedom. It's not freedom. It's it's um, terrorism. Yeah. Not right. And I think there's like a myth, like a what is it, a mirage of yeah. oh he's yeah. making honest art. Oh you, you can't like mess with him because he's being honest. 
Because honestly, if you're hurting that many people, well, then that is going to show up in your honest art. Yeah. You know, if you're making honest art that comes from a deficit, you know, like violence also comes from a deficit in the person who is violent, you know? Yeah. And that will show up in your songs or in your poems or whatever it is. Yeah. So, John, yeah. what's, what's on your mind? <laughs> <laughs> you can check us back at, we're going to probably do like an R. Kelly panel. That's what we yeah. need to learn how to do. We need to line up some experts and, you know, devote a full two hours. Um, yeah, but it's, it's not just R. Kelly, you know what I mean? Like, sure. I remember on Twitter, uh, Jericho Brown was having this conversation where he was like, if I cut all the people from my curriculum that we know have assaulted people, yeah. my curriculum would be empty. There'd be no one left to teach. Yeah. All Every yeah. single person in the canon is a racist or a sexist, yeah. has committed some sort of violence. Like, who would we have left to teach, right? So, R, I mean, I think, R, you know, R. Kelly, you know, we talk about him for, for a lot of reasons. You know, he just released this new interview or GQ just released this new interview. But it, it, it's far it's far beyond just R. Kelly, you know what I mean? There's so many people. And what do we do as consumers of art? You know what I mean? So much of the art that we love is produced by people that are honestly uh, violent, you know, not they're not good people. They're incredible artists, but not good people at all. But then I think it comes down to, and this is, I think, the argument that I am consistently having. I think we all are. Um, consistently having as artists, as people, um, is like, can you can you take can you take the man out of the song? You know, like, right. can you take the man out of the book? Like, can I read this book without co-signing the behavior of the person who wrote it? You know, I mean, that, that's an eternal question, right? It's like what Josh said. It's like um, it's it's not stagnant. It's consistently listening and changing. Yeah, no, I feel that definitely. Right. <clears throat> so what's on my mind? I'm going to make this quick. Uh, there's a photograph on my laptop that is, you know, not eligible for Throwback Thursdays <laughs> that I was just showing uh, Jose. <laughs> uh, of the night that I got suspended from high school. Uh, look I got out for it. We're going to post it on Twitter. Is, share it out as part of this podcast. Most likely yeah. never going to see it unless you <laughs> are sitting next to me and, and my, my laptop with me. Um, where my mouth is probably like the size of a bowling ball. My eyes are so glossed over. It's probably the drunkest, you know, I've, I've maybe ever been. Uh, and I was suspended from high school for being at, at Winter Formal really drunk. Um, oh, and I showed it to. I mean, it was a, it was a pretty monumental moment for me for a lot of reasons that I that maybe I'll go into another time. But you know, like I'm, I was looking at it today and was thinking about how much I am that dude and how little I recognize that dude at the same mm. time. Uh, and I was kind of you know gorging a couple months ago on on James Baldwin YouTube clips. Uh, and there are a lot of kind of great speeches that you see him give when he's in his 30s and he's saying brilliant things that you're kind of like writing down. And then I saw another interview with him when he was like 55 or 60 and someone is kind of asking him a question about his life between, you know, whatever age and whatever age. And he's 
kind of citing that dude who you can see in these other clips and saying how much of what he thought he knew wasn't true <laughs> or like was wrong or like that he would look back at those things and disagree with some of the things that he was saying. And of course, I mean, he's like equally profound at 60, you know, with whatever he's saying, but I'm just like, I'm kind of, uh, I don't know, in like the last year or two feeling grown up for the first time in my life, you know? Like, this is the first time where I'm like, yo, I am legitimately a grown-up, you know? Like, for better or worse. And that comes with a certain surety. And I'm just, like, I don't know. I'm I'm so curious today what I'm going to think of what I'm doing now when I'm 45 or when I'm 50 or if I'll look back at myself now and see the ways that I'm hiding in the same ways that I can look at my high school self and kind of poke holes through everything that he's putting out into the world you know yeah and i'm kind of like part of my journey the last couple years has been like trying to love that dude and integrate him instead of like shun him (laughs) 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 jose what's on your mind dude man i'm really honestly just tired i'm beat it's been a long week uh i got a training tomorrow it's gonna go into saturday uh, probably gonna go into Sunday. Aziz is gonna be at that training. John's gonna be at that training. Uh, a lot of people I love are gonna be at that training, and I'm I'm just I'm already exhausted. It's supposed to be a snowstorm, also hitting yeah. at the same time. I'm like, John doesn't want the snowstorm because he's been planning this training for so long. Shout out to the Dialogue yeah. Arts Project. Yeah, check them out. Uh, I kind of want a snowstorm because like I could use the day to like chill the fuck out and like sit down and read a book and write a poem or something like I'm I'm honestly just tired and really I guess wondering about like all the different ways that I'm spending time and whether or not like those are the ways that I want to be using my time yeah so that's what I'm thinking about no doubt did you notice the the slight pun you made like I just want to chill out I hope there's a snowstorm oh (laughs) (laughs) I see that what I'm saying let's go find it yo uh, that was that was subtly late you know what I'm saying that on purpose claiming it that was like one of those bars you know what I mean (laughs) I would have I would have played this back for y'all been like look 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 check this out I said I just need to chill out And I hope there's a snowstorm. I would have been like, oh, let me run that back. <laughs> also, we might not have another podcast before uh, Jose and I are both signed up for a, we're each other's partner in a in a tag team rap battle against McCallie oh, that's that's and uh, Lady Logic. So yeah, so before that happens, you know, Lady Logic, McCall, uh got lots of bars for y'all. <laughs> Uh, mostly unpleasant ones. Wow, 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 wow. Mostly disrespect. Yeah. Mostly slander. So, using that spirit of, uh, you know, I was gonna say disrespect, but that doesn't make any sense. Josh, what's on your mind, dude? <laughs> Josh is crying. Come on, bro. He said they're mostly unpleasant. You're not gonna like it. Um, not at all. What's on my mind a lot? I've been thinking a lot about, about dogs. Um, in part because I'm like editing this essay uh, in my dissertation on dogs. I'm writing a chapter on dogs right now, on like dog fighting, um, in Salvage the Bones, which I think is just like mm-hmm. one of the greatest American novels. Um, 
ever really right. inspired Jasmine Ward, won the yeah. National Book Award in 2011. Jasmine Ward is just brilliant uh, across Incredible. the board. Her memoir, too, The Man We Reaped, is, yeah, is fire. Oh my gosh, it's amazing. Like, deep, deep generosity. But I guess, yeah, just as I've been thinking about dogs, I've been reading this book called uh, With Dogs at the Edge of Life by Colin Diane. Um, and thinking about, like, I don't know, just what we call living and what we call dead. I guess, like, my favorite passage in Salvage the Bones is after Hurricane Katrina, where all the, the occupants of Bosavage, Mississippi, are just walking around, and they keep saying the word alive, alive, alive. Mm. And that's all they're saying to each other. Wow. And, like, I've been thinking a lot about, like, sort of how we live in this moment of, like, public grief and public mourning, um, where they're, like, where, like, black folk in particular are just said to, like, not really be alive. And I think that's, like how a lot of these like footage of people being killed can like circulate, right? It's like this idea that you're not really seeing a person being killed, but like just like somebody that's already dead, like sort of coming into their own what they were destined for. And I just been trying to think about that a lot and how to like come up with like a theory of life and like write life um, from the perspective of people who have been said to be dead for a long time. And so I don't know, that that's where a lot of my head has been, especially as someone also that writes a lot about like animal life and nature and is like somebody that's deeply committed to like nature poetry and eco-poetics because we live in a world full of entities that are said to not be alive, right? Mm -hmm. Like um, the trees are said to have no life, but they like communicate through roots and like have these poisonous leaves when like, like their leaves are more deeply enriched with poison when a giraffe comes and like bites a neighbor tree, you know? And like, I'm so fascinated by Wait, that Wait, they're idea. deeply more enriched with poison like, after Like they'll change the their taste. They're like leaves that'll change their taste um, on like a neighboring tree if one tree is like being consumed by like a, a predator or something at like a certain oh, wow. speed. Like the tree will get jealous and be like, well, or it's like, I don't want to die. Right. <laughs> or the next tree is like, nah, that's like, not get happening the fuck to me. away from my friend. Right. Right. He's like, yo, bro, giraffe <laughs> alert. Get poisonous. Right. Right. It's poison time. Uh, <laughs> giraffe alert. You know, uh, it's going down. Yo, shout out to those trees. Yo, shout out to trees. Yo, trees are fire. But I think about that all the time. Like, that's so amazing to me that trees are like communicating through roots, right? Which are also underground. So it's not just the body of the tree that looks to you like it's, it has nothing going on, but like this whole world, you know, and like protists and protozoans. And so that's what's on my mind, man. Just like these things that are said to be nothing, but are actually everywhere. So like I'm at MIT this semester. Yeah. And uh, one of the students I, I work with is a quantum mechanic. That's also a poet. And so he was basically explaining to me why human beings can't walk through walls. And what he says is, it's because we're, we're too big to be considered by a wall. That's what he said. Like, wait, that's wait, wait. the... What? Right. That's... So, that's... Right. He said we're too oh, big, he big to be... He said we're too big to be considered by a wall. That, like, there are electrons wow. flying through us, flying through the walls, and it's because they're so small, they're said to be nothing, that they can be considered by a wall and pass through it. Wow. Right? So it's like those things that yeah. are said to... Yeah, he's fire. Yeah, he's also so, a great writer. So you're saying that there are... Electrons that can pass through walls. There's matter that can pass. It's happening through right walls. now. It's happening right now. Yes. But we're just too big to qualify. Yes. Wow. The wall doesn't wow. like bang with us, bro. The wall is like, <laughs> like you can't. And like it's so, so wait, amazing. Is yeah. he? Does he mean it in a way that gives the wall consciousness, or you know, because like considered yeah. is a loaded word to yeah. be like, yeah. you know, like the wall won't consider us. Yeah. Like it turns its has no truck with it. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like a Otacelis Germay. Yo, it does. Yo, I was reading Kingdom and Amalia yeah. this morning though. <laughs> On kindness Bars. is like such oh, a beautiful yeah. poem. Maybe the greatest poem of all time. For real though, I've been thinking. Okay, see now you're gonna get take me somewhere else. But yeah, I think the metaphor is built in for like quantum physicists and like quantum mechanics folks, right? Mm. It's like this idea that 
we understand ourselves as like the primary agents in the universe, but like in actuality, like the wall or like the tree that can like allow all these other forms of life or non-life to pass through it. They got something on us, you know, they're smaller, faster. Um, Mm. And we're sharing each other's electrons. You know, I think about that a lot too. Like even this idea of a body versus like an object, like we're like melded and like part of each other in all these incredible ways. When you Mm. think at the subatomic level, you know, so those are the kind of kids I'm around all the time. I I love when I find science facts like that. I, you know, I, I remember Aziza posted on Facebook this article saying that water had memory. Mm. And I thought about yeah. all that that might mean. Z, yeah. you remember posting that? Yeah, of course. Yo, I mean, I love, like, the language that science offers us yes. as poets. Yes. I mean, it's I think it's, you shared some of the most incredible things. I mean, the fact that the language is, like, we cannot be considered by a wall. You know, science can't help but bend toward poetry. I mm. think it's just it's just a thing that's true. Like, yeah. I don't know, even in autopsy reports, right? Like, I was studying Laquan McDonald's autopsy report, and they and they let, when some part of your body is undisturbed, the coroner has to write down um, it was unremarkable. Mm. Like, wow. his his you know his biceps were unremarkable. That's the um, meaning that no one had cut them, no one had hurt him there or shot him there, like, you know, and what more poetic than that, what more gorgeous and haunting than that, like, water has no memory, like, a scientist couldn't think of a different word, a different way to say it than that, you know, I think that's, oh my god, it's stunning, and that's why we freak out, you know, we're like, what, they can't go through walls, like, what about a tree, and then we're talking about trees and walls matter. Yeah, yeah. And part of it, too, is the way we're trained to think about science, right? As, like, being almost the opposite of the humanities or or of poetry, right? And, like, someone like Ed Roberson, who's, like, one of my favorite poets, right? He's a scientist. He's a limnologist. Like, he would study rivers and was, like, going through Alaska, you know, and writing poems about birds. And I'm writing right now about this guy named Charles Henry Turner, who was uh, one of the first uh, six black PhDs um, in the United States. Wow. His PhD was in zoology. Wow. Um, he was a nature poet and, you know, an entomologist. He studied flies and bees and, like, wow. discovered that bees could see in color and that ants, could, like, had these mm-hmm. profound memories and could memorize routes and stuff like that. Like, I think that history... William Carlos Williams, the doctor, right? right. So, I mean, yeah. like, that history has always been there, I think. Um, and it's the way we're trained to think we can only do one thing at a time. Mm. There's so much humanity in nature, too. I mean, humanity is already, like, a fucking colonized word. (laughs) To say that there's humanity in nature is to say (laughs) that there's, like, humans, human qualities that we can love in animals. Uh, Yeah. But, man, last night, this, you know, is a little bit divorced from what we're saying, but not so much. Like, you know, we have a mouse. We have a mouse at my crib. That's a fact. And so we bought traps, you Mm. know? And, uh... We bought cheese, and we put the cheese in the traps, and uh, my partner and I are just sitting there watching a movie, and then we hear the snap go off. We do, we do, which, you know, on one level, the snap, it's not, you know, we're sitting there being like, oh, fuck, you know, like, that snap went off because this mouse just died, like, this mouse that was in my house... Who was like not doing anything to offend us, but be in our house, mm-hmm. uh, and so we bought something that would kill it by like breaking its neck, 
which are just the mm. facts. Like, I'm not trying to drill yeah. any, drill at home as heavy-handed. And I, like, you know, went over to do it, and it's, like, it's bloody skull is on the floor. And Dang. I just, I don't, I, like, honestly, it stayed with me. It's actually yeah. probably what's on my mind more than the Agent. football picture in aging. <laughs> because I'm like, you know what? I love fish, you know? Like, I don't eat red meat or pork or chicken, but I, like, do love fish, and I, like, we should not eat meat. I'm like, I can't help it, but, like, we shouldn't. We, like, actually shouldn't. I do, and we shouldn't, because it is a form of looking away from the fact that this thing is actually alive. Like, this mouse, the only reason we killed it is because we were afraid of it. Like, that's the only reason. We were just afraid because it was there, yeah. And we killed it, and we and honestly, then I set another trap up. So if it has a friend, <laughs> yeah. like we're gonna it's, kill it's that too, mouse too. Uh, and uh. it's not like you know making me toil away. It's not where the majority of my mental energy energy is going, but it is unresolved. You yeah. know, yeah, like it's very real. It's so I'm hearing you talk so much about just like. It, it, I don't know, like, nature and the connection of not obviously just animals, but yeah. beings. Like, how does it, does does your writing, I don't know, uh, has it led you to think about kind of violence in animals or that kind of thing? And if so, kind of how? Yeah. Are you a vegan? That's what I'm really trying to do. <laughs> <Yeah, yeah, yeah. laughs> well, I'm vegan. trying to do it in a way that's yeah, yeah, not yeah, judgmental, no, you no, know? That's like, real. That's real. real. That's real like, it's not, a, yeah. No, facts, facts. Uh, <laughs> I'm not a vegan. I think... And I know why. I mean, I think the ethics, because the ethical question you're wrestling with, right? Like, what does it mean for an entity to be alive? Mm-hmm. And part of it, too, is when I had, like, my vegetarian moment in graduate school, and one of my colleagues at Princeton just said something to me about plant consciousness, right? Like, he was like, unless you believe in the soul and you believe that consciousness is just, like, an aggregation of, like, atoms or cells or whatever, like, a plant is alive, bro. Like, and it just yeah. it messed me up. I was like, well... All right, then, like... <laughs> everything's cool. fair game. Right, I was like, well, everything's alive. And then for me, honestly, like, it became about mammalian solidarity. And I know that's ridiculous, but it's true. Like, so when people ask me what I don't eat, I'm like, yo, I don't eat mammals, bro. Yo, you like, that. Yo, I did, I did. For, like, three yeah. years now, I don't eat mammals, bro. Anything yeah, that's like, a mammal, I, I don't eat it. Had to choose a side, bro. I went with mammals. I, if it descended from a dinosaur, I'll eat that joint, you know? All, all right. Tiles and birds are available. They can get it. And, and various fish. You know what I'm saying? I eat, I eat salmon. Water has memories, and who are we to even be drinking that? Bruh, true. Mad like, organisms in water. Yes, I get so much about the water. Yeah, but the water goes through your body, you know? Comes out in sweat. Fish comes I mean, out uh, in. Yeah, but you, you could easily it. say that like a pig goes through my body and it leaves it yes. differently than it entered. I don't know. I, I think with water, you're still consuming it. It's still consumption. Yeah. <laughs> it's complicated. And this is the other thing, though, that I like what you're saying, John, about like it being unresolved. And I think like I'm learning to not let, like kind of to let things be unresolved and keep thinking through mm-hmm. them, right? Like part of what... Part of my concern, just about myself, but also with my students, um, 
and just folks I'm thinking with is like, yo, this desire to always have like a concrete, firm position on anything, I think is actually kind of dangerous. Mm. And I think it's tied yeah. to this desire for completely unproblematic people, which mm. we were talking about before, right? Like this desire to have a syllabus where everybody on it, not necessarily was not just engaging in these like gratuitous forms of violence, which like merit our critique for sure, but this desire for like a clean history, mm. right? Which I think just produces something really bad, I find. Um, yeah. And now we have to think about. So, yeah, that's that's all through my writing though. It's trying to like engage with in, with the natural world in a meaningful way, and all my heroes, you know, do that kind of work. So, you work. know, I mean, uh, you know, we could get back into this interview with Josh in a second, but I just have to say that for me, uh, there is no mammalian solidarity. I'll eat a pig any day. <laughs> <laughs> hey, yo, bacon is delicious. delicious. I do it. In uh, you know, I apologize. I, I love pigs. Pigs are my favorite. Do you apologize? I don't. What would it mean? I don't apologize. I celebrate pigs every day, though. You know what I mean? I, I'm very <laughs> grateful for pigs. Uh, but yeah, I'm not gonna stop <laughs> eating them. <laughs> I celebrate pigs every day. I do. I do celebrate pigs. When the aliens come down and decide we are food. I'm not gonna. I mean, I'm just really nervous for you, fam. Like, hey, karmically, I'm nervous. They're gonna be like, "Hey, I love Jose. <laughs> I apologize, to Jose. I celebrate him every, every day. day. They got the t-shirt. You know, they got the Jose t-shirts, bro. Wow. That they snap from outer space, Listen. bro. <laughs> Damn. Yo, you know, if if aliens come down, you know, and they decide that I'm <laughs> I'm the meal of the day. Uh, you know, I hope I taste as good as a pig does. Bruh, that's an L. That's heavy. I like that. Because that's an L you got to take. Anyway. I just couldn't, I couldn't let this mammalian slander. <laughs> you gotta let it go. You gotta let it go. You know, I had, to come, I had to come clean, you know what I mean? Nah, and, uh, bro. Ain't that to confess. You know. I do, <laughs> I do enjoy but I think you That's do why. I mean talking about kind of running into the wall of your own righteousness that comes with having a stance on everything uh, it made me think of you know that David Foster Wallace uh, he has a it was like a commencement address that he gave this is water, this is water. Yeah. it's like one of his yes. very famous texts but basically in it he warns all these kind of graduates and ultimately the world a, you know, to be aware of what it is that they worship. Mm. And he says, you know, if you worship uh, money, then you're, gonna, then you're never going to have enough. You know, yeah. you'll be rich, but you'll just be, like, still trying to acquire money to the deficit of your own humanity. Like, if you worship intellect, then you will become really, really smart, and everyone will think you're smart, but you'll always feel like you are potentially about to be exposed as stupid, you know, yeah. like you'll be more aware yeah. of what you don't know uh, than anybody else, and that will consume you. And he doesn't say he doesn't warn against worshiping morality, but I think we do see that, you know, where people are like, "Man, yeah. you know, I need to be the rightest, and I need to have the rightest stance, and kind of uh, have the potential to separate them themselves from the journey yeah. of." You know, like finding one's own way towards rightness yeah. and kind of building the muscles of trying to figure out what you actually think instead yeah. of what you're told to think. And it, it, it runs the risk of feeling like you're learning enough rules and then all of a sudden looking up and being like, oh, fuck, everyone's going to know that I broke a rule. Yeah. Like, whatever the rule is, yeah. everyone's going to know that you broke it because yeah. you're a person and you probably did. Yeah, John, like, to that effect, I feel like, and I don't know, I, I would love 
Josh, to hear what you think about this, too. It's just, I think for so long, I've worshipped the idea of being good. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I have to be so good, you know, and, like, running around this word good, especially, like, in the black community notions of good, what that means, where you go, like, on Sundays, where you go if you're a good person, um, what it is to be a good person and black in America. Um, and, I, and I worship this idea kind of blindly, not knowing, like, that I guess being good is, is very much um, case by case, like, yeah. moment by moment, people yeah. by people, you know? And, and it was very disturbing once I, like, started going to church and hearing hateful things, like things that were just hateful, mm-hmm. like uh, a youth pastor saying, like, oh, all the homosexuals are going to hell. And I remember saying, like, all of them? <laughs> really, dog? Like, I was really perplexed. Like, you going to weed out, like, for real? Um, and, and I remember bringing up my friend's parents, you know, two women, and I was like, but they're really nice people, youth pastor. Like, I, I swear they're really kind. I mean, and I thought kind was good. And he was like, mm. no, but what they do is bad. And mm. and I don't know, like, what what's your idea? I know, like, for your growing up in the church was very much a part of your life. Like, yeah. where did you start with this idea of goodness? Where are you at with it now, mm. like, in your writing, in your life? Jeez. Yeah, good and bad. No, that's real. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I think growing up in church, I had kind of a, like a material guidebook, right? Like this, there was this idea very much that like the Protestant Bible was supposed to be like this, um, and we were supposed to follow the letter of the law, you know? And so I grew up in a house, there was no alcohol. There was also like no salt, no soda, which should have clued me into something early. Like something, <laughs> something, there's no soda in the Bible. Like, so I don't, there's like, there's clearly no like biblical injunction against like some of this stuff. Like we're clearly freestyling at, at certain points either way. Um, but it, I don't know, it was cool. I think also, but what I liked about church quite a bit um, as a young person was that it actually allowed me to live into this uh sort of like non-normative masculinity in ways I was actually really punished for in other places that when I was in church, I sang and I was an actor um, and I was like very particular about the way I dressed and wore bright colors and was like a very sensitive boy with a very high pitched voice. And I think I was celebrated because I could like memorize Bible verses and sing solos and things like that. And I Mm. felt like there was a space to be uh, a certain kind of boy uh, in, in the black church vision I grew up in that, that was not available to me in the rest of the world. And so I was really thankful for that. And I think that's also the place where I learned that ethics were muddy, right? Because I think there was this sort of pervasive queer phobia in many other ways. Um, there was, I think, some potentially problematic ways of thinking about class as I've moved between different sort of church spaces. Um, but there were also social services happening there that the state wasn't going to take care of. You know, there were homeless folks that were there. There were kids getting free breakfast, you know. So it, that, it taught me about a kind of dynamism. Um, and thinking about good now, I think for me, it's a, as someone that doesn't go to church, that doesn't identify as Christian anymore, uh, for me, it's like a situational ethics, you know, like approaching every situation with a desire for the good of like the human and non-human world. Like that sounds really big, but it's true. I think I I try to think really hard about um, how to live for the good of other people. Mm -hmm. Um, I think about that in terms of my living. I think about who lived in my uh, apartment that couldn't afford the rent and made the space for me to be there. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think about that as like a black person that lives in Washington Heights, right? Um, 
yeah, who's able to like live there in part because of poetry and some other stuff. Like I have a really complicated relationship, I think, to to good now. Um, just because like the national context we live in and the fact that I, I kind of want to be, it's funny, when you first talked about good, I thought you meant like having a job and a house. Cause I think I wanted that, I wanted to be good in that like vernacular way for a long time, right? I used to pray about that. Like, so bringing it back to religion. When I was a kid, I used to pray to have a job when I was five. Um, and that taught me something. Like thinking back about that in therapy, like I had a certain vision of what it would mean to be safe when I was a kid that I've just been living into for like 20 years. Like going to Princeton and like all, the, I think a lot of that for me was to be stable. Um, that I knew what it looked like to not be stable, um, and I did not want that. Um, and so I just, yeah. I guess I've been trying to live. When I think of being a good person or uh, like running at top speed toward the good, it's about creating a world where a lot of people are more stable um, and can live abundant lives, you know, um, and not having. It's the last thing I'll say, and not having a joy that's like predicated upon the terror of like other people because mm -hmm. um, I think a lot wow. of times when I talk to my students and to like my white upper middle class students in particular I have to let them know that what uh, they experience as safety and happiness actually depends on police power being leveraged against me um, and their classmates right um, for my students I identify as men I'm like what we experience every day as someone asking us for a gig or uh, thinking what we say is smart that depends upon the repression of women's ideas every single day um, and so just trying to like fight back against that and giving myself space to be more free like that's my idea of good you know Yo, <clears throat> when I hear that you know that's so beautiful so well put yes. and also I think like a lot of folks I'm probably you know like my first thought is, damn, dude, Josh is a good dude. You know, like, you're talking about when it's goodness. Like, no, but for real, like, that's my thought. I'm like, dude, Joshua Bennett, I, I fucking believe in him. He's a good dude. And I'm, I, I can't be the only one, obviously, like, to think that when I hear you, you know, like, just talk about what you're interested in. And I'm curious if that, if, if people feeling that way has an effect on you, you know? Like, if that... Is uh, you know like empowering? Is it a limitation? Is it just like people's perception of you <laughs> as like a really smart, good dude? <laughs> damn, that's so nice. I mean, you guys are great. This is the best. Podcast. I mean, I'm not making that up, right? No, I, I, I feel like so affirmed. Damn, you're really. making it up. Yeah, no, you're affirmed my life, bro. I appreciate that in like a real way. I don't know. I mean, if people think that, I dig it, yo. Because like, that means a lot. Um, I don't know. In, in part because I didn't. I didn't grow up feeling that way about my, myself, certainly. Mm -hmm. I think I felt like I was bad <laughs> for a lot of my life, you know? <laughs> that I grew up with very harsh... Yeah, dude. I grew up with, like, a super harsh vision of the universe where I believed if I, like, had sex or drink, I was going to die. Like, theology in my house is like, harsh, you know what I mean? Like, it was immediate, too. It was like, you're going to die if you drink. And then I went to college and didn't die. And I was like, oh, <laughs> it's over. I'm wild out. I don't know, man. I just appreciate like that anybody would like think think well of me, and I really, really mean that. And that a lot of that's in the book too, like of what it meant to to feel like I was in a body that like attracted violence in all these ways. Like I really used to just feel that way wow. as a kid, and so I, I it really does mean. A, I say this at shows, and it really does mean a lot that anybody's in the room. Like I really don't take that for granted, in part because my first gigs were in like cafeterias. Like my first paid gig as a poet was at, in front of a Dunkin' Donuts. 
in a wow. dining hall and people were like, boo. Like it was like not, it was like not good, bro. Like it was not popping at all. There's yo. a phenomenon on the college poetry circuit where yeah. they book poets to come and speak during lunch hour at yeah. a cafetorium. Why? And I've literally never heard one story of it going well. I'm like, no, it no. always has, you can't see it because it's a podcast, but Josh is like shaking his head <laughs> into, his, into his hand. Oh, like, <laughs> I love it that was that a too. subway and a Dunkin' Donuts you know next to each other. So this is in New York? This was in Springfield, Massachusetts. Oh, sorry. What are you saying? Massachusetts. Massachusetts. Unless it's a public art thing. Like, that I I fuck with. I've, like, popped up in a high school cafeteria before to do, like, a five-minute jump-off. But there's no hour-long public art performance (laughs) during a cafeteria. This is not it. Yeah. That's that's, that's very wild. I had a thought, though. Oh, please. Um, For for all this talk of good, right? So, for, for the praying for good and all these things, I'm just, I'm just curious, like, for everyone at the table, like, I don't know, when I, when I, okay, so this is what it made me think of. When I heard, like, the word bad, you know, like, mm-hmm. when I thought of the word bad, especially for me, like, bad woman, oh, that's a bad woman, right? Um, and I remember listening to, like, Amy Winehouse as a teenager and, and thinking, like, oh, I could be a bad woman, meaning just, like, I could... I don't know, not strive to be good, like not mm. have any of those aspirations and not, not even strive to be rude or mean to people. Being bad had nothing to do with anybody else. It was, it was about me and about like how I walk in the world, like a swagger, um, like Michael Jackson, bad, you know, like just, mm, yeah. just yeah. seeing the word, you know, and seeing the look of it, the leather jacket, bad, the callous face, bad, like learning about Prince, the fact that Prince exists, um, you know, in the side eye, and, like, just being a badass, like, that kind of shit. Like, did that word open up anything else for anybody? Because I remember when I heard that, and I would hear it in music, and I'd be like, oh, shit. I don't have to, you know, bust my ass toward this idea of good that might actually hurt people, mm. you know, that might actually not be okay. <laughs> like, yeah since we've talked so much about good, like, what what does bad do? Yeah. It does a lot for me. Oh, good. No, you, you got it. You sure? Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I think embracing badness does a lot for me. Because in part, then I'm thinking, too, about badness is beauty, right? Like, seeing somebody and be like, oh, yeah, like, she's bad. Oh, like, he's bad. You know what I mean? Like, like that's also, like, tied to the, oh, he's a bad man. You know, like, those right. kind of, uh, that way of thinking of badness as beauty is helpful, too. Um, y'all got me thinking about church so early. So it made me think about the concept of, of sin, at least as I was taught it always, um, was like an archery term. Like you sin when you miss the mark or whatever, right? No, you do not. Huh? No. Yeah, I mean, this, 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 so this, this is what I was taught, that like sin was like an archery term about like missing the mark, right? Um, or like that was the history of the term. And so like, but I've been thinking a lot about like missing the mark is like super productive, like failure is actually like kind of amazing and like what you learn from failure and what you learn from actually not being good at things right away because that's called process right and like I'm really interested in like what happens when people don't have to uh because some of us I think are like mandated to be good in ways that are like really messed up so I think about this a lot with like uh like 
black folk or like Muslims and like forgiveness, right? And like mm-hmm. having to say that they oppose terrorism, right? Or like that uh, that you don't condone certain forms of violence. And I'm like, that's weird to have to be this superhuman moral figure all the time, right? And how that's that kind of goodness just isn't required of a lot of people. A lot of folks get to be dynamic, right? Um, so I, I really want... I don't know. This is a weird thing to say on a podcast, but it's facts. I feel like <laughs> like we have to like embrace badness sometimes and like just be down to be bad. Because um, yeah, certain forms of goodness are linked to like this purity culture that I think is really dangerous too. I think as well, Lauren Whitehead has this incredible monologue that she wrote for a play that she was doing where basically this character, she's a woman and she's kind of, you know, citing, it's, it's like all about Amy Winehouse. And she's yeah. basically like, you know what, I want to fucking be Amy Winehouse because she never had to apologize for anything. And like, oh. if I have to say I'm sorry one more time, I'm going to fucking die, right? Like, yeah. she says it way better than that. But, you know, like, that's the gist of it. Yeah. And I think there is something in the, in like, the, the definition of goodness that asks, uh, that really, if in the striving for goodness, it begs us not to apologize for something we shouldn't apologize for, mm-hmm. right? And that's not to say, ne- like, an apology is incredible and necessary. Yeah. And if you're a person, then you are going to fucking apologize. Right. If you're going to have a good life, you better have some apologies because you're going to fuck up and have to apologize. But we know what it's like to have, you know, a friend... Or, you know, whoever, say I'm sorry for some shit that, 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 that wasn't bad, yeah. you know? And you're like, wait a second, yeah. like, that's, that's a red flag. Like, yeah. why are you apologizing when you didn't do anything wrong, you know? Yeah. If yeah. you're a Muslim, why are you apologizing for a terrorist that, that, you, that had nothing to do with you? You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. And I think yeah. that there's something powerful in that, in being able to... You know, like stop apologize, like to not apologize if you didn't do anything wrong, right? And and to have like the wisdom to know if you did do something wrong, if you didn't do something wrong, and if you need to think about whether you did something wrong or didn't do something wrong. You know, both those terms, good and bad, are loaded terms. I think about like the history of this country and so much of the bad that was done was done in the name of good. You know what I'm saying? Like, whether it's, like, missionaries kidnapping Indian children and, like, training them in, like, Christian schools. You know what I mean? Like, there's there's so much work that that is coded as good. I mean, I remember going to high school and, like, the rules of, like, what was punished and what was not was so coded in, like, race and ethnicity. Like, we were not allowed to, like, raise up one pant leg if we had pant legs raised up it meant that we were in the game and that was not like really that was a lang- that was like a rule for the black students at my school you know what i mean like because they were wary of black students being in games like so so I, to me what what resonates is what what you were saying Josh about like being dynamic and about recognizing the ways in which you know good can be a limitation can be and like trying to understand like whose concept of good, who's yeah, who's who's, good, who's yeah. defining this, you yeah. know what I mean? And and same thing as easy with what you're saying with bad, you know what I'm saying? Like, um, bad in the way that uh, you know Amy Winehouse was bad and unapologetic and and brilliant and beautiful and bold, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's great, you know what I mean? And bad in the way that you know, um, I don't even. I don't have a, a counterexample, you know what I'm saying? But but bad in the way of, like, someone who is causing harm and violence uh, is not great. Right. But, but those those things shift, you know what I'm saying? That's so yeah. dynamic. I think what 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 
I'm sort of gathering from this conversation is like, you know, maybe the limitation of that language, like maybe we need to be striving towards other goals. Mm. Like maybe instead of good yeah. or bad, like striving to be just individuals, you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? But even that language is limited. Um, yeah. So I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I know for me, like I, I spend a lot of my life trying to be good and then realizing that, uh, that I was still causing harm, you know what I mean? And that so much of like what I was thought, taught to be good was like also coded in like this language of like self-hatred, you know what I'm saying? Mm. And I had to like learn to love myself. And then suddenly, you know, people looked at me different or whatever. Uh, and then I was, I was bad, but I was bad. And it, it's, it, it's all very messy for me, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, to yeah, and it should be messy, no? Like, I think, yeah. I remember um, even, like, when I first started listening to Nina Simone, right? And before I knew anything about her life, like, I heard her voice and her and her fingers on the keys, and I was like, this is not a woman who is interested in being right or being pious mm. or, or being righteous. Like, but this is a woman I find totally captivating and human, you know? Um, and, and just just the virtue of the fact that her voice was not beautiful. It, it was like, there's something very liberating about that. Um, I don't know, maybe, maybe the interest then should be in like what, what is liberating about humanity yeah. um, in a way that doesn't harm folks. Like, I think, yeah. I think there is I mean, I think the badness that's in R. Kelly is a badness I'm not interested in. Mm, I think the right. badness that's in Nina Simone is a badness I am interested in. Right, right, um, right. If we're using that word, right? Right. Um, but, but I just remember, like, hearing her voice for the first time or hearing Amy Winehouse voice for the first time or, or reading, like, man, reading Bobby Francis for the first time, right? Mm, and being like, sorry. this is a woman <laughs> who is not interested in being beautiful to anyone yeah. you know they're, they're fine with being uh, voracious and and hungry and upset you yeah, know yeah. And, and in a way that is so craftful and like um, brilliant and um, I don't know for, for me that does a lot like I, I don't know who I'd be if I couldn't learn from these people to say no to to you know, like, <laughs> I don't know, shit on something, to, like, read something, like, mm-hmm. uh, you know what I mean? Right. So I, I am interested in, in a notion of, of badness that I think also for a woman just means not saying yes all the fucking time, not Ooh. saying I'm sorry all the fucking time. Like, right. I, I really used to think that being a good woman meant I said yes to everything. Damn. And meant I apologize for everything. Yeah. And it's bullshit. And I don't know if that's... Is that true for y'all? Like, as dudes? Um, you learn that? That being... To apologize? Or? That being bad... That or being that good being, means to apologize and saying yes to everything? Yeah. Um, I don't think I was... I don't think... I was taught that to be good meant to apologize all the time. I think maybe I was taught the opposite. You know what I mean? That to be good meant being unapologetic and being, like, strong all the time. Yep. 
you know, I think I think the part where you where you're talking about saying yes to everything, I definitely feel that. I I say yes to every fucking thing. I work myself to the bone because I believe that it's my responsibility as like a good young man to like be everywhere and do everything. Never mind that there's other folks that can do it, you know what I'm saying? But like yeah. I spread myself way thin trying to be the best person for the greatest number of people, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like only now at you know 20 27 about to be 28 years old learning to like say no and to step back and be like uh you know this the responsibility is not mine alone you know what i mean i think mm. i think for me you know word that we haven't brought up is is community and to me i'm like learning more and more every day to like trust in the people around me to also uh you know to to be present in in this struggle that you're talking about and trying to figure out you know, what's bad and what's good and what's just and what's liberating. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Yeah. On that note, let's uh, let's kick it over to Josh. Yeah, uh, make some noise for Joshua Bennett. You know, Josh is going to close us out. Yo, we're so grateful to have yeah, you here with man. us. Oh, thank you. Thank you man. so much for being here. And, <laughs> you know, look out for Josh's book, yeah. which is coming out via a uh, small independent press <laughs> called <laughs> Penguin. And Josh, tell the people the name of your book. Uh, my book is called The Sobbing School, and it'll be out September 29th, 2016. Yeah. Oh, man, put it on your calendar. Wow. Put Get it on a Google calendar. Alert! Go yeah. cop that. <laughs> your grandma. No, get your get your pre-orders in. Yo, uh, facts. <laughs> before we did the podcast, Josh was like, "I gotta remember to say the name of the book because otherwise they're gonna be mad I didn't promote the book." Yeah, yeah. But now you promote the book. You're I did it for it. you, Paul. Shout out to Paul. <laughs> uh, shout out to Paul. Shout out to Paul and the millions of listeners who just heard this. Yeah, and are putting it in. It's lit, you know. <laughs> uh, so, uh, if you're at home, we invite you to maybe get up, walk around, you know, put your hands together, to get down. loose yeah. for a little Turn preview the of volume. the book. Uh, put your hands together for Joshua Bennett. Hey, hey. hey. Yeah. Thank you all so much. All right, so this is uh, <laughs> this this poem is so heavy. Whatever, it's a heavy book. There, there are spots of celebration and joy which this ends in. So this poem is called On Extinction, Mm. and uh, it's from my mama. Dear reader, please pardon my obsession with the end of things. I was born of two Baptists, one backslidden though no less fervent when it came to the law, the cross, the grain of me and my sister's hair. I was born non-white in the 1980s, arrived in the wake of four girls slumped against a project wall resembling a long ellipsis, heron, my father's preferred pronunciation, having coaxed their heads into solemn agreement. Mama knew three of the dying personally, but maybe this isn't about her, so much as how this scene became a part of our extended family. Its argument clear as a bullet's signature. Son, to live in this flesh is to worship agility, to call death by its government name. The woman across the table is scared to raise her son, fears he will be killed by police, says this outright, over soup, expecting nothing. My first thought is of the landscape. For a moment, all I can see is flat green oblivion, unchecked floor where fourth graders once sped across the open. In 1896, Frederick Hoffman claimed every Negro in the U.S. would be dead by the end of the year of my younger brother's birth. To his credit, 
Hoffman dreamt of neither badge nor bullet, but dysentery, tuberculosis, killers we could not touch or beg for clemency. Hence, when I consider extinction, I do not think of sad men with guns, or Hoffman standing by the chalkboard in his office discerning algorithms for the dead, but the sheer breath of our refusal, how my mother, without stopping even to write a poem about it, woke up yesterday and this morning again. Mm, beautiful. Wow. Thank you so much for being here, Joshua. Thank you for having me. We appreciate it. Uh, thank you at home for uh, checking in once more with the Poetry Gods. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know. Josh, tell the people where to find you online. Yo, all right, yo. All right, so there's, there's many spots. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm really out here, y'all. Holler at your boy. So you can holler at me on the Facebook fan page, Joshua Bennett, under writer. Uh, profile picture there is the same as my Twitter account, which is at Sir Josh Bennett. Uh, I, okay, I'm, I might not really be out here like that. I think that's it. Oh, wait, no, I'm on, I'm on, uh, wait, I had to really think about it. Hold on. Uh, I'm on Tumblr. Uh, I guess you should just Google my, I don't remember how to get at me on Tumblr, but get at me on Snapchat. I'm also on Snapchat under Sir Josh Bennett. You're on Snapchat? Yeah, bro. I mean, mostly just for Khaled. You know what I'm saying? Like, Shout Khaled really inspires Khaled. me, yo. Oh, my God. Major keys, yo. They don't want you to finish your manuscript, but you got to do it. Don't listen to they. <laughs> don't listen right. to they. <laughs> Used to call me right. Fat, so now they call me Castro. Sorry, I'm done. Woo. <laughs> Let's cue the song. <laughs> All right, y'all, that's it for this show. Catch us <laughs> next time with the Poetry Gods. Uh. People see me, but they just don't know. Woo. What I told you, cut People see me, but they just don't know. Woo. People see me, but they just don't know. Yeah. People see me, but they just don't know. People see me, but they just don't know. Come on, yeah. I need this in my life, bro. I need this, man.